But what I discovered recently is I had no idea what it was about, apparently. I always thought it was sort of a love song. You know, two of us, we're going to get through this, we're going to move on together. Not so much. The uh, songwriter's lead singer of Snow Patrol tells the story behind the song. And he said, year, year 2000, he, as he puts it, I was on a massive bender. And one night at the Glasgow School of Art, uh, at a bar there, he got so hammered, he fell down an entire flight of stairs. And he said the, the drummer found him at the base of the stairs and reminded him of a tr- police chalk outline and thought he was dead. He was not. Massive gash in his head and was flown back. You know, after getting fixed up, by some extent, flown back to his mother's house, who kind of scared her to see how bad he looked. And he said at that moment, he realized he was either going to figure out who he was or he was going to die. And something had to be done. Run is his story of trying to see hope out of that moment and the realization that unless I get an understanding of who I actually am, I'm going to die. And the, the, the song Run is almost like one of the Psalms, where you hear a song, I don't know how familiar you are with the Psalms, if you've read it in the Psalms, which are the Old Testament songs of worship, at times the psalmist is almost speaking to himself, trying to encourage himself, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. He, he reminds himself of things that are true. The same way the, the Snow Patrol in the song runs, he's reminding ourselves, light up, there's got to be a beacon out there. To me, the song resonates deeply because I am under the strong conviction that until we get a good sense of who we are, we live pretty flawed. And whether it's a massive bender or some other mechanism, until we can get that sense of who we actually are, who we're supposed to be, and how we live well, we live false. And beauty is found in living out of the heart of who God actually made us to be. Today, we're going to talk, as we continue our series, 100th Monkey, about um, this essential concept. Not only is understanding who you are important just for the sense of figuring out what your life is supposed to be, but also understanding your own story is really the key to impact in in your life. It's not found through something else. It's actually getting a clear understanding of your own story, of who you are and what's happening in the midst of it. Recently, I was in a conversation with somebody, and it began, as it sometimes does with acquaintances I have as I'm getting to know them, and they have me as a captive audience for a few moments or a couple hours, and they're reminded that I'm a pastor, and so suddenly these questions that they've had sitting there for who knows how long come out and say, hey, I've always had this question. I figured you could answer it. So off we go. It starts with a pretty antiseptic question, which is, what's the difference between an agnostic and an atheist? You know, that's like slow-pitch softball. I can hit that one far. And so we just... I t- the difference between an agnostic and an atheist is pretty, you know, sterile, but then very quickly it moves into the story. My story of moving from atheism to theism to Christianity, uh, her story of exploring different things, and it struck me in that that so much of life really is about the stories we live and the stories we tell. It's about the stories we receive, the stories we embrace, the stories we reject. Life is nothing more than, and nothing less than, our stories lived alongside one another, and our influence is found in our own personal story as it connects with other people. What we discover in the Bible is it's also found in a bigger story, that is God's story working through us. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story of one guy, a guy named Paul, and Paul was an early leader in the church, and quite honestly his story is fascinating. 
It is a fascinating story of influence and impact and how the trajectory of your life story can get altered and how that influences the impact you make in the world. And I'm going to read to you a section out of a letter that he wrote to a church in Corinth, the 15th chapter. And this is what he writes. For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. It's the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, euphemism for they've died since. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul's story is a story of a swift and dramatic conversion. And it happened on a road one day as he was off to kill Christians. That's what he did. He was a bright, elite member of a society that believed that this early movement of Christianity was dangerous. Dangerous and needed to be stamped out. And Paul, with a relatively strong personality, with a brilliant intellect and some drive, said, stamp it out? Great. I'll take it on. And so his mission at that point was simply to stamp out this movement before it caused further damage. And in one passage in the book of Acts, which is the early story of the church, there's a story of a guy named Stephen getting stoned, getting killed with stones. Because, see, I know there was like at least a handful of you going, really? I'm surprised they use that terminology in the Bible. Anyway, uh, for his faith, because that's what was happening. The early church people were martyred. They were killed for their faith. And it, the one line that's listed in there is, and Paul was in the, his name at the time was Saul. God changed his name, which God liked to do that. Anyway, but Saul was in the audience heartily approving. He was in the back going, that's what we need to happen. So anyway, here is Paul's story of impact. I'm going to go to sort of give an overview to you of Paul's world at the time and how God changed the trajectory of his life. Okay, Paul's world at that time was smaller than our world. Our world in the 21st century is large, and we have all sorts of places that we know of whether or not we've been to or not. Paul's world was small. That was all he knew. And his world on that day, a fateful day, was truncated to one location. His world was focused on the city of Damascus. And he was on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, in order to take Christians out, to kill them. That was his sole focus. That was where he was going to have impact. His life story was, I am a person who was zealous for my country and for its religion, and so I'm going to stamp out this new heretical religion. That's where I'm going to have my influence. He's on his way to the road to Damascus, and God appears to him and says, Paul, what are you doing persecuting my church? Stop it. Anyway, 
Big life change. Paul comes to the conclusion that Jesus Christ was actually who he said he was. And his life gets altered. Within the next 10 years, from that one sole destination where he was going to have impact, Paul's impact blossoms because something happened which changed his story, and he from that moment began to move out throughout all of Asia Minor, starting new churches, influencing other people to know what he knew, to experience what he did, and to follow Jesus. Ten years later, his influence changed dramatically. What happened? The gospel happened. The grace of God happened to Paul at a moment in time with dramatic effect. What I want to do, I want to walk through some of what he tells you about his story, and we can sort of chronicle what what has changed in Paul's life and what he now understands about who he is and who God wants him to be. If you go back to the beginning of that passage... This, those first couple of phrases, you know, they could come across as just sort of bland facts. Recite them easily. For what I received, I passed on to you as the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. As the Bible says, Jesus was going to die, and he died. He was buried. On the third day, he, he rose from the dead, just like the Bible says. And then he appeared to Peter and others and others. It's almost like you can see that fitting into a catechism. This is what happened you know, Jesus died for our sins. If you live in the South, you've at least heard that phrase. And, you know, what's Jesus supposed to have done? Well, Jesus died for our sins. And it can just be recited without necessarily meaning anything to our personal story. This is Paul's personal story. When he says, for Christ died for our sins, he says this, and I killed people. What do you think flashes in his head as he writes the words, for Christ died for our sins? And I killed people. I was a persecutor of the church. I didn't just kill people, which quite honestly, that's bad enough. I attempted to stop the movement of God in the world to bring joy and beauty to people's lives. That's my story. And so he writes of himself in this passage, I am the least of the apostles. Quite honestly, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Now, this is not just a bad moment where he says, oh, I'm not feeling too great about myself. This is a common theme in Paul's writings. One of the common themes is he refers to himself as the least of the followers. And in one place, he says, Jesus died for our our sins, died for sinners of whom I am the worst If there's a chief, if there's a head, if there's somebody who's failed the most, it's me. Now, you see, it goes from, here's some, you know, stuff. Jesus died for our sins, to going deeply into life. He understands this about his story. That his sin is a real thing. That somebody had to die for. He needs forgiveness. You know, I have, uh, how do I say it? I have a checkered past. I just do. I mean, I look back at my life and I had a lot to be forgiven for. And I've wrestled with that at different points, whether or not I should regret how I lived or, or not. I mean, there was, it wasn't just that I did stuff, but I, you know, I hurt people the way I lived. And I've really wrestled with that at points and wondered, how do, I, how do I process that? 
and come to the conclusion at this point, I don't know that it could have been any different. Do, do I wish I lived differently? Sure, but it's not really one of the options because I had not a clue who I was. I understood nothing about who I was or what my story was. And so if I didn't do one thing, I was going to do another. And it wasn't as if I was sitting down going, hmm, I need to figure out who I am. Let me try this. I was simply grasping for things. There, were no, there was no pegs. There was no anchors to my life. And so I was just doing stuff. And so when I read the verses, for Christ died for our sins, it, for me, it's a pull-down menu. Click and look at the list. For me, Christ died for my sins is not antiseptic. It's very real. I understand this about my story. That it's not, well, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe I've done some stuff wrong. Christ died for my sins, and that that was a heap. At some level, it continues to be a load. Don't get me wrong. Well, that's step one of Paul understanding his story. He understands I was the least. I did not deserve the grace of God to come to me. But then what he understands also is that the grace of God did come to him. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I just love this, by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Another translation says, His grace to me was not in vain. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Well, what is he now? If you saw that map, what he was was among the most influential people in the world at that time. Paul is able to hold together. This is my story. I killed people. I tried to stop the movement of God in the world, but by the grace of God, because it was real to my life, because Jesus came to me, I now am what I am. I am an impactful influencer in the midst of the world, and all of Asia Minor is being changed because of me. You must understand something. He was, well, you don't have to. He was one of the more, more than any other human being at the time, he moved forward the message of Christianity. And within 300 years, the Roman Empire was officially Christian. That's his story. And that's his story because after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to, Paul gives a list, and last of all, he appeared to me. I understand who I am. I also know that the God of the universe pursued me. Yes, he appeared to the apostles. Yes, he appeared to 500 others. Last of all, he came to me. He pursued me intentionally. He knew my name. That's what Paul knows about his story. Deeply fallen in not some theoretical way an impactful changer of the world because the God of the universe gave grace to him. You see, it's not theoretical. It's real. And it changed his life.
when the grace of God appeared to Paul, when he understood his story, he understood one other thing about it clearly. And that's this. The grace of God that came to him was not meant to stay simply with him. That God pursues people through other people. Paul has a dramatic conversion. My guess is none of you had a conversion like him. Seriously. Roadside, blinding light, audible voice, going blind. If you did, I really want to know, (laughs) because that would be phenomenal. Anyway, that happened. So it's really, it's very, you know, supernatural apart from any other people. But then God brings a person named Ananias, a man alongside of him, and says, I want you to walk alongside of Paul, because this is what's going on. Paul is now, okay, he's now saved. He believes in Jesus, and he, he's ushered into Damascus, and he's, he's been blinded. He's ushered into Damascus, and the Christians are going, <laughs> seriously, you've got to read Acts chapter 9, read this. They're going, Don't you, he's the guy who kills people. Don't bring him here. Really? Um, okay, he says he believes. He's a mole. He says he's a Christian. He's not a Christian. One person, Ananias, walked alongside of Paul. God's grace came to Paul, but it also came to Paul through an actual person who walked alongside of him. Life happens. Impact happens. Life on life. Relationship on relationship. And Paul understood that. See, here's where, if I tell you, if you understand your story, you can impact the world. The danger is you go, okay, it's going to, you know, understanding my story, I'm working on it. You know, three, four years of counseling more and, uh, you know, a little more introspection and pretty soon I'll be ready to have, you know, audible conversation with somebody else about my story. That is not how Christianity works. Often we view Christianity this way. See, the story of, of impact is the story of our life, but it's also God's bigger story. This is a false view, false way of looking at how God reaches and pursues people. There is God, and there's us, individuals throughout the world. And God goes after people individually, and he reaches them one at a time. Now he's big and omniscient and omnipotent, so he can do lots at the same time, but he's reaching people one at a time, and his grace goes to them and sits there. And then he goes after somebody else. Christianity is more like this. God's grace goes to you and then through you. The grace doesn't stop. It's poured into you and then it keeps moving. I said in the first service, I keep, every time I go like this, what does this remind you of? Come on, Iron Man. But honestly, really hokey. It's how it feels to me. It's like the grace of God pours into me and then it goes out. It doesn't stay. Now, again, it's a little bit of a danger. You look at this illustration like God's grace into me goes through me. It doesn't like just sort of pass through you. God's grace comes to you and it dwells and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. But as his grace in you goes deeper and as you understand your story more, it keeps going out farther and farther to one person after another, just like I'm sitting and I'm talking to somebody and they're asking about agnosticism and atheism and the story is going out from me. I'm not going, gee, let me think of something I can say. Let me think of some fun facts to know and tell. The story is flowing out of me. Why? Because the grace of God is real to me. It's not theoretical. I don't have you know, charts to describe why theism versus Christianity. I mean, well, actually I could, but that's a whole different issue. It's real to me. And so it pours out. And honestly, this is how Christianity works. I told you last week, maybe week before, 
that we have this fallacious view of the Christian life, which is either that, you know, God is pouring his grace into me, and he pours, and he pours, and he pours, and I get lots of it, and occasionally I'll, you know, talk to somebody, but essentially God's pouring his grace into me, and I'm kind of like a cul-de-sac, or I'm just supposed to be given out, just given out. It's more like this. Our life is always lived essentially with one hand up, and the grace of God pours into us. And as Paul says, his grace to me was not in vain. I, I actually poured myself, I leaned back into it. And so God's grace pours into us as we read back into the Bible, as we pray, as we connect with other people. And his grace to us and our understanding of who we are and who God is goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And then one hand is always facing the world. And it's not one at a time. God's grace pours into us. We seek to abide and live meaningful in relationship with him. And as that's happening, as it wells up within us, his grace pours out to other people. If you're a follower of Christ, that's your story. It's got nuances and shades. No story is exactly the same. It's what makes it fascinating. But your story is the story of pursuit that when the Bible says Jesus died for our sins, it means you. When it says, by the grace of God, you are what you are, it means that God intends for you to live a life of glory and beauty. And that, God's grace, goes through you to pursue the rest of the world. And so, before we go to communion, I have two questions. Number one, do you understand that story for yourself? See, some of you are in the place of, honestly, right now, you're in the place of snow patrol at the time and Paul before the road to Damascus and me back there when I was just doing stuff. And that, honestly, you're not sure that you know that there's a God out there who loves you and has pursued you. It's, it's theoretical at best. Here I am. God's grace is real to me. It's not artificial. It's real. I, I know it and feel it. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by the grace of God, I'm standing in front of you and you're sitting here and I'm talking to you. And the reality of God is going to you, which is that he's pursuing you right now. He knows your sin. He died for your sin. He offers you grace and hope and life. He's pursuing you today. In this very day, you can receive the gift of a relationship with God through the death of Jesus Christ for you. Other question I have for you, if you were a follower of Jesus... Do you understand your story? Over time, don't you notice it becomes somewhat theoretical? It can sort of just be out there. Your relationship with God is meant to be experienced, felt, lived, breathed, enjoyed, and then poured out. My encouragement to you as a follower of Jesus is to weigh in deeply. 
as Paul advises, I, I worked hard. I poured myself into my relationship with God. Go deeper. Understand what God has done in your life. Understand who he is for you now. And then be willing simply to tell your story as it flows through you. This morning as we come to communion, it is a beautiful illustration of the gospel and what I'm talking about today. And here's, here's why. The night that Jesus was betrayed, they were at what we call the Last Supper, and he took bread and he broke it. And I'm assuming he did it better than I just did. But anyway, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then it says, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He says, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And then what he encouraged everyone at the table to do was to eat the bread and to drink the wine, to take it in them. See, it's, it's this picture of, okay, there's God. There's Jesus Christ who's come to rescue us, who loves us. And he's saying, now, the life that I have in me, I'm going to give to you. Take and eat the bread. Let it go inside of you. The life I have is now going into each one of you. And then, a couple thousand years later, here we sit. And the movement has gone on and on, and we the same way, just like they did take the bread and the wine, and we take it in us, because the reality of the grace of Christ comes within us. And then, we move from here, with what is in us, the reality and the truth of hope, of life, and it goes forward. And so this morning, if the communion service would come forward, I'm going to serve in just a moment and we're going to pray, but if you are someone who is not in faith, and all that means by that is you're not sure you believe this yet. You're honestly exploring it, whether or not it's something you kind of thought you believed when you were younger and now you're totally unsure, or it's all simply new to you. I will only say this. Today, you can make the day that you come into relationship with Christ. And if you, can, if you want to do that, all you do, go, go to one of the stations when we serve communion. Receive it. Make the simple prayer. God, I believe you're there and that you've pursued me and you're pursuing me today. I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life. And then talk to one of us about it. If you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a part of Warehouse or not, if you're visiting here or whether you're a regular part of Warehouse, we invite you to join us at the at uh, our communion stations. And here's how it works. We'll be in five stations around the room, and right after I serve the communion service, I think it's going to be four. We're in four stations around the room, and as soon as I serve the communion service, they're going to go out to those stations. You make your way to one of those stations. They will gather you into a group of about 12, and they'll serve you, and they'll pray with you, and then you can take your seat. I'll give you a couple of moments, and I'm going to serve the communion service.